What's up? It's your local film guy, Zach here, and I'm back. It's Zach, and I'm back uh, with another episode of the Film Directors Tournament. Another matchup, I should say. Um, Still round one. This is matchup three of the Directors Tournament, and we have a very, very interesting one this time up. Um, I'll get into how it became these guys, because <laughs> this is interesting, but it is Ben Stiller, the director, Ben Stiller, versus Jean Renoir. I think I'm saying that right. Jean Renoir, a French director. Um, I'll get into more maybe who he is here in a sec, but first I want to get into how these guys came to be playing each other in a matchup. First, when I randomly got my directors, um, I randomly put them in like a list maker to put up to, and just randomize them in a list to see who would play who. So that's why it's then these two. But uh, eight of these directors, as I think I've said maybe in the first episode of the film directors tournament, but I'll reiterate here. Um, eight of them I randomly picked from a web, or I was randomly selected for me from a website because I knew it would give me directors that maybe I hadn't heard of or hadn't seen, like Jean Renard. Um, and then I also had friends help me so I could get maybe a little bit more of a mainstream directors. Um, and yes, I asked a buddy just to give me a random movie and he gave me Tropic Thunder, if you didn't know, directed by Ben Stiller. <laughs> I looked up Ben Stiller, and to my surprise, he actually had four movies that he's directed that I have not seen. He only has six movies that he's directed um, since the 90s, so not a ton. He's working a lot in TV right now, actually. Um, Severance, and I think he's got more work coming. But uh, yeah, the only two movies of his since that I've seen is his third and fourth, which is the original Zoolander and Tropic Thunder. Um, his other four, his four that I haven't seen, um, being the movie for this episode, obviously, Reality Bites, um, The Cable Guy or Cable Man, um, the Jim Carrey, Cameron Diaz movie, one of the Jim Carrey, Cameron Diaz movies, um, Zoolander 2, <laughs> which, oof, might be a tough episode if we get to that, but, and then uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which I've heard great things about, but I've, I've never seen and I would like to see. Seems like a pretty competent director, surprisingly. Does not get the respect for it, I believe. Um, but yeah, so we have Ben Stiller, and then we have Jean Renoir. For people who do not know who Jean Renoir is, Renoir, he is a French director, born in the late 1800s, actually. Died in like the 1970s, I think, 1979. Lived a long life. Um, I actually think he moved here from France during the Nazi occupation, or invasion, I should say. Um, and I think he may have made some American movies. He was nominated for a Best Director in 1945. I, I'm not sure if that was for The Southerner. I think it was American-made, or in English. But, uh, yeah. <coughs> Sorry. He did win a honorary Oscar in 1975 and i will read what they have down for him to maybe better explain who he is for the people that don't know but they basically said uh jean renard a genius who with grace responsibility and enviable devotion through silent film sound film feature sound film feature documentary and television has won the world's admiration 
uh, he wasn't present in Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid Bergman actually accepted the award on his behalf, which I thought was cool. But, um, so yeah, there you go. He's made a lot of movies. He's very prolific, um, starting from sound and or starting in silent films. And then he worked through, you know, all the way up, probably till 60s, 70s. So he's made sound, he's made color, he's made features. Seems like he's made documentary and TV shows. So a very prolific director, older director that I knew nothing about going into this. And I'm excited to, uh, you know, at least get my foot in the door when it comes to his work. Um, and yeah, so I will be doing his first movie as well, which um, is, wow, it is Whirlpool of Fate, I believe. I had this up. And when I was looking up the Oscars thing, I had to put it away. Yes, Whirlpool of Fate, which came out in 1925. Reality Bites came out in 1994. So yes, there is a 69-year difference. Or, sorry, 91-year... No, I was right, sorry. 69-year... I don't know why I got 91. 69-year difference between the two movies. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting. Um, quite excited, actually. But uh, yeah, that's how I came to get these two directors. That's how they're facing each other. Two totally different directors, I believe. Kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, I obviously have not seen a Jean Renard movie, so all these movies are uh, qualified for this tournament. Um, yeah, uh, this is definitely going to probably test myself because, again, as the rules state, I kind of try and choose the winner based off objectivity and subjectivity. Um, it's going to be kind of hard to objectively review and analyze and determine which is better from an objective standpoint, I guess, for a 90s rom-com, classic 90s rom-com and a 1920s French silent film. I mean, two completely different things. It's going to be really hard, I think. And then subjectively, I mean, it, which comes down to just my humble opinion, I still think it's going to be kind of difficult because I'd like to gauge things on how, you know, in context. And I'm going to try and put these both in the best context I can and give them the most respect that they deserve. But... It's certainly going to be difficult. But, uh, yeah, Reality Bites versus Whirlpool of Fate. Uh, that one has the cool, better name. Actually, has a better IMDb rating. Like, not like that means shit. But, uh, yeah. And now you guys will be hearing my review of Ben Stiller's 1994, I think, Gen X Classic is what it's considered. Um, Reality Bites. Reality Bites, the directorial debut of Ben Stiller, um, written by uh, Helen Childress, um, starring aforementioned Ben Stiller, as well as uh, you know Winona, Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke, Janine Garofalo, Steve Zahn. 1994 movie, and that is important as fuck. Before I get into that, I feel like I need to apologize to Ben Stiller because I think I uh, 
kind of wrote him off in this tournament. Um, tournament of really big directors like Martin Scorsese, Wong Kar Wai, you know, Buster Keaton's in here. Um, Lars von Trier, Denis, the move is in here. Ben Still is a good fucking director, all right? Um, Ethan Hawke called him world class in a podcast I listened to, so. I don't know. Ben Stiller probably gets a bad rep for just, like, the movies he does. I mean, he did direct Zoolander and Zoolander 2, but other than that, I think he's got a pretty solid slate. And then his TV has been popping lately, so. I don't know. Scoff at me, but I'm becoming a Ben Stiller, the director fan. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, as I said, this movie was made in 1994, and that's important because this movie is 1,000% about 1994, which is probably my favorite part about this movie, and I'll get into that. Or it's what hooked me and what I found the most interesting. Um, I, you know, as, as, as somebody watching this in 2022, who's a 20-something, I'm 24, and it's a movie in 1994 about 20-somethings in 1994, it, 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 it was very, very interesting just to see, you know, it, how Gen X is, what life was like. And, you know, and I'm not so far distanced to not be able to relate to it because I am able to relate a lot to this movie. There's tons of aspects that I can relate to. Um, but there's a lot that I can't, so I cannot. So, you know, it's really interesting in that aspect how it's like, yeah, you know, I'm also just out of college and no, there's not a recession, but finding a job is weird. You know, paying rent is weird. Living with random people is weird because that's what you're doing. You're just fucking doing shit. But, uh, you know, I'm not doing, like, good times games or whatever the fuck that was. I don't even know half the lingo they're saying. They use the R word a lot. <laughs> so it's a little how dated this movie is. Um, I feel like I definitely had to bring that up. But I really like that part. Be able to visual. I mean, my parents are Gen X. My parents would have been 20-something around this time. So this is basically watching how my – or a snippet, a snapshot, I should say, of how my parents would have grew up, grown up. Or the the life they did kind of grow up in, being a twenty something. Um, so I did find that very interesting. The music and everything. It has a really good soundtrack for the nineties. It, it's not a lot of stuff I know or listen to, but I heard it's a lot of stuff that were pretty good back then and new. So that's good. Another thing about this movie is the fucking cast. Um, I mean, Ben Stiller blew up from this. I'm pretty sure Ethan Hawke blew up from this, which I'm a giant Ethan Hawke fan. Um, and apparently this was like his big break post Dead Poets because he couldn't really get out of that. So that's awesome because Ethan Hawke is my fucking dude. And he's also, I think, the best actor in this movie. So spoiler on who I think the best actor is. He's amazing. Uh, we can get into his character later because that's a whole different story. But... Uh, Winona Ryder, I'm a little lukewarm on. She's decent, in my opinion, in this. I didn't think she's as good as a lot of people say she is. I'm just really not a huge Winona Ryder fan, I think. Oops. I think she's kind of one note, and obviously she's doing that one note here. Granted, you can maybe say the same about Ethan Hawke with what he does later, this being his first role, because I feel like he does this kind of role a couple more times. A little more 
charming though. I mean, he's charming-ish in the, uh, less dickish, I should say. But um, that's what most endeared me. That's what kept me super interested throughout the movie. Basically, was the cast and um, the cast and the setting that this is in, um, because it is interesting and it is perplexing to see something that's a period that is outside of your own that I can relate to though. Um, but, and I think that's what works. I mean, I don't really, really want to get into what most people talk about into this, this movie, which is kind of the story and the characters like Troy and Michael and, uh, what's her name? Lelena, I think. I hate that name. Lelena. Yeah, Lelena, and like who, if she chose the right guy or if she didn't. To be honest, I don't, I didn't really fucking care for the story in this movie. Didn't really care for the characters, really, even. Um, truth be told, Michael and Troy were the most interesting to me. I cared the most for them. I cared what they did, and I cared what they said. I think they had the best lines and the best things to say. Um, Troy is, yes, obviously a douche, massive douche. Michael is maybe stupid, but actually probably the best, the better guy, obviously. Um, but I want to get into that in a second. Because I do actually think this movie could be, because people are going to have to really like bear with me for a second here, but I feel like this movie could be borderline genius in a sense and I know that sounds fucking crazy because this movie obviously isn't coming off as anything super smart um besides capturing a time you know I mean it says stuff about AIDS and maybe divorced parents um and stuff but I feel like you know the whole line uh Winona Ryder asking Ethan Hawke to define irony and he does you know and then you know I started thinking about this movie I feel like the whole movie is so fucking ironic, you know? Her first speech in the beginning is, like, anti-consumerist, but what the fuck is throughout this movie? It's so um, polluted with uh, just product placement everywhere. You know, Pizza Hut, it, it's got Big Gulp. It's got fucking everything in here, which is basically irony um, to a sense, or it's just hypocrite hypocritical but um take your pick i think it's ironic that she chooses troy over michael the worst guy i think <clears throat> i think the whole movie could almost be summed up as being just ironic <laughs> i think it's ironic that troy's so smart and yet he's doesn't want to get a job and he doesn't want to be good i think it's ironic that michael's the opposite you know a lot of this movie could be ironic. I think you could even take it into a deeper sense as to where, like, life and society is essentially ironic. Like, people, like, who's the one at the end of the movie who ends up making a TV show? It's Michael. That's what they show, right, in the mid-credits, is that Michael ended up making a show about what happened. Michael did. I mean, it could be consumerist bullshit, you know, just like industry bullshit, but he became an artist. Technically he channeled his feelings into something. So he is an artist. 
isn't it a little ironic then maybe if you could assume that Michael became an artist and Elena and Troy are like doing the basic moving in together familial stuff seems a bit ironic it could be ironic I don't know because that is what they show I see I'm, I have this whole ironic like, theme that I've been thinking about like the last day and a half about this movie and I think you could go deep on it but I don't think there's a fucking shot that the filmmakers meant for this. <laughs> but I do think it is interesting. I don't I don't think they did the Ben Stiller thing of Michael's character show at the end with that intent. I think they just showed it to be funny maybe, but I think there's a lot of interesting irony in here. Um that's just what I think. Uh, a lot of other things, I, I do just want to mention just like the small things that I did like about this. Also, Danny DeVito produced this. I thought that was interesting. Um, uh, hmm, the soundtrack, I said. Um, okay, I want to get into Troy a tiny bit. Troy, yeah, he fucking sucks. He really sucks. They gave him the best lines. I do want to say, like, the whole, you know, this is all we need, a couple of smokes, a couple of coffee, and a little bit of conversation. You mean a $5? I really liked that line. Like, cheesy, maybe. But I really liked it. And, you know, it endeared me to Troy. I mean, it, sure. You know, sometimes the shittiest guys are the most fun to watch on, I mean, in movies. I mean, as Martin Scorsese, he knows that. Um, but also just the guys who sound the smartest are always more endearing on, on screen. I like you know, Goodwill Hunting's my favorite movie. Give me a smart dude. Or even if he's like quasi intellectual, you know, or a pseudo intellectual. It's whatever, you know. I liked I liked Ethan Hawke's character a tiny bit. He is a douche, but I liked how Ethan Hawke played him a lot. I was a massive fan of that. See, I could watch that all day. And I actually thought the movie slacked when he wasn't on it. So that's my thing. Um, what was another thing I wrote down? Oh, the fast, just the tiny fast food scene. I feel like perfectly captured fast food work. You know, when David Spade's amazing in that two second scene, but he's just like <laughs> act, talking like how he's got it down and everything. And he's only been there for six months. Like that's, I've worked a tiny bit into fast food and that captured it perfectly. Um, but that's really all I really, really enjoyed about the movie. Again, I found it really interesting. And I liked this movie. I liked it way more than I didn't like it. Um, but I am about to get into my issues with it, which there's also a good number of. Um, but I found this more interesting than not. But, um, okay, mainly... Almost everything a movie's trying to do, this didn't do for me. Like, I know this is a rom-com or romantic dramedy, maybe, as some people have put it. I didn't really care about the romantic relationships. I didn't really laugh a lot, honestly. I didn't really find a lot of scenes funny. I don't know if they're really supposed to be. Um, I really didn't care about the characters. <laughs> I didn't care who Winona Ryder character picked Michael or Troy it didn't matter to me I mean Michael's Michael and Troy's Troy sure the story and the characters I didn't really care about it it didn't really make me feel anything for him I didn't laugh I'm sorry but like 
I really just liked seeing the time that this was in, uh, like the big gulp stuff, uh, the talking about music, the talking about movies and cool hand loop references. That's interesting. I found that funny. Found a couple things, the TV in the pop culture. Um, I even think some scenes were played really, really weird. And that might be to Ben Stiller as the director's fault. And that's where like objectively this movie isn't obviously great, but it is doing something. I'm not, this movie is not bad. Objectively. It's not bad. I don't think, I just don't think it's perfect. Obviously. Um, I felt like there were some close-ups and stuff that I was like, is, was that Ben Stiller's direction? It had to be. Um, <clears throat> but I also thought the story just had points that just weren't really well explained. I'm sorry if I'm the only one and I'm stupid, but like, I honestly didn't understand Troy and Elena's relationship till like they fucking said it out loud. I just didn't understand what the fuck was going on. Like, yeah, they said they never screwed, but then she took Troy to a dinner with her parents, but then Troy's fucking everybody else. And then she meets Michael. I got really, really confused. Um, I've also seen people that she like about her speech in the beginning. Did she misplace it? Also like, is she a terrible film? I mean, Roger Eber is obsessed with how bad her documentary is. <laughs> That's why he bashed on the film, um, which bad or not, like it's just a funny thing to be obsessed with. But there's just a lot of questions, I feel like, in this movie. It is cheesy a little bit in the um, the awkward conversation. Oh, my God. The awkward date conversation between Michael and Malena is fucking way too awkward. I get there trying to make it realistic. But, man, is it cringy. It's super cringy. But, you know, it's a, it is a rom-com. And you're going you're gonna to like a rom-com usually for what it is. Um, but yeah, that's mostly what I really have to say. I think about this movie. Um, I do think it could be saying something really cool about irony, you know, again, like I've said, but I don't know. I can just get straight into my awards now. Quick review. Um, just best scene and best actor. Best actor is definitely Ethan Hawke, man. He fucking killed it. He really, really portrayed that role really well. And, you know, like, it's a consensus that Troy's a fucking douche and probably shouldn't have been picked. But, like, the fact that he still is and the fact that it's believable, I think, is more a nod to Ethan Hawke, man. He, he's good. He's a really good actor. And I'm glad that this movie really kind of showed that. Um, but best scene was hard to pick because there's not a lot of great scenes in this. Um, I oddly liked when Ethan Hawke and Elena are fighting. I liked the, when they were out strolling for the walk, you know, with the dialogue I just said, or when they're in the diner. I like when there's actually interesting conversation, like somewhat interesting conversation. Cause I think that's obviously when this movie's doing the best, it's trying to capture a time like people's thoughts in a time but so best scene um, maybe i just give it to the scene that has the lines that i liked with ethan hawk even if they're cheesy where he's trying to console the lane or lelena 
after she accidentally said the whole cap thing to Janine Garofalo's character. So I guess I'll go with that as the best scene. Not that it's like a great scene, but it's maybe one of the more funnier ones and interesting ones. But yeah, Reality Bites, the directorial debut of Ben Stiller, who actually I think can direct pretty well. This movie is definitely not bad. Seems like he went on to direct a lot more decent things. So, And this is kind of a classic of its time. Granted, that's not me. But, okay. Next movie up is uh, Whirlpool of Fate. Let's, uh, let's see if uh, Jean Renoir can, uh, can fight right back, which... I don't know. The Whirlpool of Fate, the directorial debut of Jean Renard, uh, the great Jean Renard, apparently. Again, just now heard of him. Getting into his works, starting with his first film, Whirlpool of Fate. Um, not written by him, written by Pierre Lestringues. Um, don't know who that is. But uh, yeah, The Whirlpool of Fate. Um, essentially is like i mean based you i mean from its title it's literally basically a film just about a, a girl who uh kind of has everything possibly bad that could happen to her happen to her in about an hour and 20 minutes um until the ending it has a happy ending but uh and basically just explores uh it's almost kind of like uh thematically it's like a chaos chaos theory or uh i mean they have no theological um reasoning behind uh or they offer zero theological reasoning behind how sh why this girl's life is so shitty and all the bad coincidences that happen towards for it but you know it's basically a uh an exploration of why things happen kind of it doesn't get really into it it's really more melodramatic i you can tell and yeah, i think even jean renan went into it that the story is not much of a uh priority in this movie and when you're watching it you can yeah like i said you can tell um there is a, a lot of visual and technical things going on here a ton um, and I think, again, yeah, I think even John Renard, John Renard said that he really just wanted to use this film as like a, like a way to start experimenting with different things in filmmaking. And you can totally see that here. Um, it, uh, it stars his, uh, I think, wife at the time, Catherine Hessling. Um, who is remarkable, I think, in the movie. I think she's really, really good. I think um, there's many times you can read her thoughts just through her expressions and actions. Um, she was a character many times um, that I felt like I could completely understand, despite like the absence of dialogue. Uh, I think you could just like see in her eyes or see in just the way she moved uh, without even her lips or anything, or even a title card that... I feel like I completely understood what she was doing. I could read her thoughts. I was like, okay, this makes sense. And I think it made the the scenes that I'll get into here in a sec, but there are some very dire scenes, harrowing scenes, that I think are even um, 
made better through her performance. So I wanted to get into that a little bit. But uh, yeah, this is a 1925 silent film, French silent film. Gosh, buried the lead there. Just now saying that. Uh, but it's a directorial debut. Um, um, but I think there's some, I mean, should I just get into some of these scenes? That's probably what I'll do because it's, it's really all that's really worth talking about now. I mean, it's a short movie. It's a very short movie. And themes-wise, it's not really trying to get into a lot. Granted, I, I'm still unsure of whether like, a silent film can really get into some deep themes. I'm sure they can, technically, but it's just hard. Um, but there is like an early scene. Because in this film, uh, the main character has uh, her father dies by accident, and her uncle uh, takes the inheritance, kind of blows it, and then be basically tries to incestually molest her. And then in the beginning, and then uh, kind of just harasses her throughout the rest of the film. He's a big villain in this movie, but there is an early on, basically sexual assault slash just assault scene that is very harrowing i totally was on the edge of my seat it's directed so fucking while the music just comes up he jean renard really likes to employ these like really really quick cuts um throughout he does it multiple times during these types of scenes there's like three or four of these types of scenes where he'll go quick 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 cut and it, it really worked for me um i think they were very effective um there's another one towards the end there's a big climactic scene towards the end that's all right but um really good shots just really good tracking shots really good quick cuts zoom ins i mean there's i mean one of the opening shots i thought was really really cool where the said uncle who you don't know the villain yet is walking on a boat but it's a still shot camera's um static and he's just walking and like he's still in frame the entire time but the boat's going like you know in frame and then out of frame but he remains in frame i don't really know how to explain it unless you've seen it but <laughs> it's a really good shot and immediately you're just like oh okay this guy this guy knows or he's trying to do something here and i even got into his probable best scene which at first i kind of hated and now i've been drawn into on <laughs> but um the dream sequence scene there is a interesting dream sequence scene to say the least um and i say interesting because i that to me it felt like it was 10 minutes long i was like oh my god how long is this dream sequence but then i was like oh shit this motherfucker's trying to get in his bag like like this dude's trying to show off he's trying to do some shit because that's exactly what the hell he was doing i mean he is imploring fucking quick edits you know reversals slow motion the like transparency type shots uh like side staging or whatever like a sideways stage that cameras tilted on he's he was really going for a lot of things in this dream sequence just getting all crazy on, on like bergman-esque very bergman-esque and bergman would have made these movies after him so i don't know i'm not trying to say 
Bergman, like this guy inspired fucking Bergman, but I mean, I'm sure Bergman knew who Renoir was and I'm sure he's maybe watched some of his films and I haven't seen other Renoir films, but there's some like persona, persona, I mean, um, uh, hour of the wolf type stuff going on in here, in here technically. So I think it's very, very, very impressive. And I was insanely impressed with the filmmaking. And again, it, the story is just a basic melodramatic kind of, and it drag, it does drag, drag hella, especially in multiple times. Because it is just kind of like a story of a girl who just keeps getting fucked over a little bit. I think it really dragged when she was with the, uh, um, the, God, the gypsies, sorry. But, you know, that's that's okay because I do think a lot of those scenes really worked for me, even on an emotional level. I think I really wanted her to get away. I was like, oh my God, this fucking guy, he's always there and this girl's going to get fucked over. And it's not her fault. She's not really portrayed as stupid, in my opinion, or dumb. I mean, it's an older film, so maybe she is kind of portrayed as somebody who can't really fight for herself. Um, or like a woman without, but I think she has agency. So, I mean, like, I'm not going to say like this has terrible portrayal. It's, 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 it's a good movie. Technically, this is a very good movie technically. And I think it's made very well. I thought I, again, I was actually impressed again with the storytelling a little bit, how progressive it kind of was. I mean, it shows some, I mean, men in this movie are fucking shit. They are shit. I mean, I guess we, I mean, not, a, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving you the answers to the universe here, but saying men are shit is just like something people don't like to put in film until maybe more recently in the 1925 film. And it's just like, Oh yeah, by the way, um, all men suck. I don't know if you knew that. And women are the victims of a lot of it. It's like, yeah, <laughs> they fucking are. It's crazy. Um, so I kind of like that in the sense of this story-wise, even though obviously the story isn't getting into anything super deep. I just thought it was more progressive than I expected for a 1925 film. Um, but nothing too crazy. Again, I don't really know if it's really saying anything except for like, yo, life can suck sometimes. Um, and that's just how it be. It's just how it do, you know? <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, other than, I mean, there's not a ton to talk about this hour and 20 minute movie. Um, I liked it a ton, actually, just on a technical sense. I thought I was doing a ton. I was really impressed a lot of times. And again, a lot of these scenes really, really drew me in on the edge of my seat. The ending scene, even when he sees her again, you know, there's so many scenes where I'm just like, oh, what the hell is going on here, you know? Um but yeah, and then like for my quick little awards of this movie, like my best scene, best actor. I mean, the best actor is clearly the lead, uh, Catherine Hessling, his wife. Uh, like I just, I already gave her a bunch of praise, but I think she did incredible. There's not really anybody else that really um, impressed me. Everybody else is, you know, good, but they're they're not in it. They're not the center frame of the movie. And then uh, my favorite scene, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go with the dream sequence. Um, just technically, I'm just like sitting there like, what the hell? This guy is doing fucking everything. Very, again, to me, Bergman-esque, but this would have been pre-Bergman. So 
I guess it's Renard-esque, and Bergman was just doing Renard stuff. Who knows? I don't know. It's it's very confusing and interesting and doing a lot on a technical level. It's a good movie. This is a, a good movie, a well-made movie, I should say. Not like a great movie. I mean, it, you're going to drag for an hour and 20 minutes. You're going to be sitting there like, oh, this is boring at times. But I didn't think it was that bad. You know, as uh, French silent films go, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's listening to this because anybody's fucking seen it. A lot of people haven't. But no, I, I enjoyed this movie. Um, and uh, now I'm going to get into how I compared it to a 1994 re- movie like Reality Bites, which I had already reviewed, which I have already reviewed. Um, And this is going to get interesting because these are completely different films. So stay tuned. All right. So you guys have just heard me um, review both films. Uh, 1994, Ben Stiller's directorial debut, Reality Bites, as well as uh, 1925, directorial debut of Jean Renard, um, Whirlpool of Fate. And if not, maybe if you just skipped here, you're uh, you're just you know you're just here to hear me compare these two movies in a I don't know how the fuck I'm gonna do it, but in a bash it insane way because this is what I've forced myself to do because I made a tournament and there's silent films and then there's Ben Stiller. No offense, Ben, but uh, no, Ben's good. Ben put up a fucking fight, okay. And I'm not saying he won or not, but you know. Respect to Ben no matter what happens at the end of this podcast, okay? Ben still is a dude. Ben still is an artist, okay? He needs respect. And we give people respect here. But uh, yeah, okay, so I am comparing uh, a uh, two movies, one from the 20s and one from the 90s. One a French silent film, one an American rom-com, essentially, or dramatic or romantic dramedy, as other people put it. Um, this isn't going to be easy, but I think I've got it figured out. I think I have my notes down. I think everything's ready. Um, but, uh, yeah, first off, I just want to get into just like the real nitty gritty differences. Obviously in comparing these, I got to take some things into account and other things into account. Like reality bites is like almost purely like a genre flick in a sense, you know, it's really playing on kind of rom-coms um it's really trying to do something with like generational storytelling kind of but like not even really in a profound sense more of an entertainment sense um to a degree whereas like we go to the silent film whirlpool of fate it is it's still not even really focused on story either it is purely about the artistry of filmmaking the the technicality of filmmaking um it almost seems like it doesn't care about its story whereas the other thing is primarily story i would say but not even that good story entertaining story um so these aren't the easiest to compare <laughs> again ben stiller versus jean renault i i dug myself my own grave so here we go but uh i'm gonna start off with my object my my i call it 
subjective objective thoughts whatever i mean because like i don't think i can purely be objective but these are my objective somewhat opinions i don't try to have an opinion but yeah you know what i'm trying to say um technically comparing whirlpool fate and reality bites on a technical film primarily filmmaking aspect I think Whirlpool Fate wins, right? I mean, come on. Like, I already talked about it. The quick edits, the fuck, the dream sequence alone with the slow-mo and the reversals and the transparency shots and the sideways, and this is all in the 20s, and it is doing way more artsy bullshit than Ben Stiller even wants to decently attempt in Reality Bites. He doesn't give a fuck about the camera. He doesn't get a fuck about editing to an artist like in an artsy style reversals like he's not doing anything artsy with with you know post-production type stuff you know what i'm trying to say um ben Silla's not doing that jean renard is only doing that <laughs> so like on in that technical type of i mean like it's whirlpool fade all the way but obviously Filmmaking is a visual storytelling medium. So, yeah, the visual art is important, but there's a storytelling art as well. And I want to get in, but I'm still, and I want to get into all of that. But again, visual filmmaking, Whirlpool of Fate wins. Visual acting, I want to get into now too. I think on a singular level, I think Whirlpool Fate wins also. I think uh, I think Hessling is doing a little better than Ethan Hawke. I think she just has a lot more probably going against her, which kind of helps. Not saying like that Ethan Hawke's a worse actor. Ethan Hawke's one of my favorite actors, and I think he's so good in Reality Bites. Uh, wouldn't be my favorite role of his, of course. Um but Hessling just she is kind of hindered by the lack of dialogue, and she's so she's literally forced to do more. And therefore, I think uh, I think she's just has the better, you know, uh, performance to a degree. And so I'm gonna have to go with Hessling there as well. But I do want to say, and I'm trying to be objective here, even though these are technically opinions. But. In an objective sense, I think Hessling is better than Hawk because of that. In an objective sense, I do want to say, as a cast, though, a cast, Reality Bites obviously wins. I mean, Whirlpool of Fate doesn't even give a shit really about its supporting cast. Maybe the evil uncle, maybe the romantic George guy, but I mean, like, those guys aren't really doing a ton. Um, the uncle, it's kind of schlocky. I don't know. He's kind of campy. But reality bites, you know, you got Steve Zahn, you got Janine Garofalo, you got obviously Winona Ryder's the lead. I, mean, I buried that, but a lot of really, Ben Stiller, Jesus Christ, a lot of really good performances, a lot of ones that I really liked and enjoyed. So reality bites would win, in my opinion, on an objective cast perspective, but Whirlpool of Fate would win on a who had the best singular performance out of each film, if that makes sense.
So yeah, again, objectively, I still think Whirlpool Fate has a major um, lead, right? But now I want to get into objective because you know storytelling also can be somewhat objective in a sense. Um, because like, what are the stories? And Whirlpool Fate's story is really just a melodramatic. I think. Again, I think there wants to be something deeper there for Whirlpool of Fate. I really do. I think they want to get into the shittiness of life and how everything can stack up against you over and over and over. And some people just get a bad draw. They get a bad hand. Um, and it fucking sucks. And like they don't even try to get theological, which I like. And they don't offer a God reasoning. They just are just like, this is how it be, you know? Um, but they don't really try to, I mean, then it just gets into a romantic aspect for the second half, which I actually found more, um, better paced. Like I was actually able to watch that one better, even though I thought the first half had this kind of try and theme thing going for it, but it was slow. Like I was getting bored at a lot of it. Whereas obviously reality bites, you know, um, it's a story about Gen Xers trying to make it out of college, you know, um, has a very clear story. It's all it is, is it's story. And it's, uh, it's famous now because it was trying to reach a certain amount of people and it was entertaining to me. And that's what I actually found most interesting about the movie was the story. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. This is people my age trying to make it in a different time. And so they had different issues. They had the same issues, but they have different issues, you know? And that's the most interesting thing of Reality Bites is its story. So objectively, Reality Bites is the more interesting story. And again, I'm also gonna go with theme here too, because theme is a part of story. And I'm also gonna go with Reality Bites. Actually, I think Reality Bites had a more interesting, I think I got into this in my review, the whole irony. I think there could be a really, really cool irony theme. And again, also, I think Whirlpool of Fate could have a really cool <laughs> theme about the shittiness of life. Obviously, the Whirlpool of Fate, honestly, the name of the fucking the title. How sometimes life just fucking whirlpools down and you just get sucked into it, you know? Both, I thought, could be saying something really, really, really cool in a theme sense. But I still think Reality Bites has a lot of other potential themes. I've seen people talk about the psychology of friendship um, as something, just like the complete beauty of capturing the slacker, quote-unquote, generation and uh, Gen X. You know, that's that's its theme, is it it's perfectly matched right there. So I do think on a storytelling aspect, Reality Bites is objectively better. And then last on my attempt at being objective here, um, characters. Um, I think Reality Bites wins again here. There's tons of debate over the characters of Reality Bites. Of course, Troy, known as like the biggest shithead of the 90s. So many people hate him but love him. It's insane the discourse mainly around reality bites i feel like is just around troy which just goes to show how amazing ethan hawk is sorry ethan hawk i'm sorry for talking shit on you um 
but then um you know michael there's so much debate around michael and like sure some people think these characters <coughs> sorry these characters are not interesting and i even talked about the lead again Lelena, renona Ryder's character and uh, i can't think of her name but Jeannie and Garofalo's character and Steve Zahn's character, they even try and get into a little bit. All these characters have a little bit of something at least that is trying to mirror its time. It's really trying to mirror its time and it's a part of its story. And there's multiple of these characters trying to be something of the times. Um, whereas Whirlpool Fate really just has its main character who... I think she has, I, again, I said this, I think she does have agency and, like, representation to a good degree. She just keeps getting fucked over, and I think she's well sought out, and I was emotionally invested in her. But almost everybody else is nothing. I mean, the uncle is literally just a massive piece of shit character that we're just like, okay, so this guy just is literally trying to fuck his brother's daughter, and I know this happens in real life, which is terrible, but like, why is this guy just a massive piece of shit? We don't know. We don't really know a lot about the romantic guy, George, at the end. A lot of the characters are just kind of bleh, you know? So also, from a character perspective, objectively, Reality Bites is better. So it almost comes out as a wash, objectively, because, like, from a storytelling aspect, from the Helen Childress aspect, Reality Bites wins. Right, but from the visual medium of filmmaking aspect, Whirlpool Fate wins, correct? Right? Like, this is what I've gotten to. Um, but now I'm going to get into my subjective thoughts, which it gets even more complicated. <laughs> this is hard, guys. These are so different, so much different films. Um, but this is where it gets weird because subjectively, this is just my personal opinion, of course. You know, I kind of want to be like, well, what movie would I personally just rewatch again? Like, if I had to watch one of these two movies next week, which one would it be? Of course it would be Reality Bites. I wasn't super in love with it, but I, I would rewatch it alone based off because Ethan Hawke's fucking it. I'd rewatch it alone because it has a whole Gen X thing that I found interesting and I would want to reevaluate. Like, everything with Whirlpool Fate that I saw was there. I thought I could go deeper with Reality Bites. So rewatchability, it's obviously Reality Bites. It also has a star that I fucking love in Ethan fucking Hawk. And I like Ben Stiller, too. And I'd like to explore that whole triangle relationship. Love triangle relationship. So, of course. But is that fair? Is it even fair to compare rewatchability with a fucking 1920 silent film? in a 1994 like rom-com like <laughs> any sane person that's not a film historian or massive pretentious film critic that's probably way smarter than me would probably say they'd rather rewatch reality bites so like 97 percent of everybody probably more like 99 to one maybe yeah so I don't even know if that's a fair assessment. But which I enjoyed more, I'd probably still go with Reality Bites, um, just because Whirlpool Fate does get pretty 
boring at times. It dragged a little bit. I did really, really like some scenes. I did really, really like some aspects. But there are some aspects that are slow and boring, and it's even a shorter movie. So, again, and again, Reality Bites, I'm always watching stars that I like and stars that I know. So is this fair? That's the whole, like, subjective thing that I was like, do I put this into account? Like, is it? I'm not. Because I made this tournament, of course I have to compare. And, like, duh, any sane person is going to enjoy Reality Bites and want to rewatch Reality Bites more than Whirlpool Fate. But, subjectively, I can 1,000% say I thought Whirlpool Fate was better. It's clearly a better movie. Um, its story isn't perfect, but it's not flawed, really. And then, like, on a visual story, t- visual aspects, again, like I keep saying, it's genius. And that shit blew me away, and it sucked me in more. That's the whole thing. Reality Bites, I was just like, okay, cool. I'm watching people that I like. It never really made me laugh. Never really made me care at all for the characters. I didn't give a fucking shit about the romantic drama or... God, I didn't care who went on to write a pick at the end, dude. I didn't care at fucking all. And that's the whole point of the movie. I... There's a lot about the movie I didn't care, but even Robo Fate, just in their scenes of her getting attacked by her uncle every time, I was like, I could feel it on my fucking chest. I was like, oh my god, like, this fucking piece of fucking shit is coming. Like, get away, get away, get away. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I was on the edge of my seat. It is a way better movie, in my opinion. And, you know, I've already portrayed objectively. I thought that they were kind of a wash because, again, objectively, you could argue that the storytelling and characters are better. Sure. Whatever. Subjectively, I just think overall, Whirlpool Fate is a much, much better movie. So, despite all that, despite heaping praise for both movies, again, Ben Stiller. He went 12 rounds, man. He put up a fucking fight with apparently one of the greatest directors of all time, Jean Renard. So hats off to Ben. I would give him a standing O. You know, I'd be like, hey, Ben, you're invited next time. I don't I don't think he's going to be invited next time. But, like, Ben Stiller, man. Underrated. Don't talk shit on Ben. He's a beast. So again, I think I'm going to end up saying that uh, Whirlpool Fate is going to win this tournament, or this round. Jean Renard is going to go on to the next round over Ben Stiller. Unfortunate for Ben, who put up in a massive, beautiful fight. God, we love Ben for that. I'm going to go into my awards, finally, real fast, and compare a little bit. Um, best actor of the round, or of the matchup. Sorry, between Hessling and Hawk, who I picked as the best actors of each. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Hessling because um like I said earlier, I think she she has more against her, and I think she's doing a lot with it. Thoughts facially. Uh Hawk isn't in he's not the lead. So he's not in the film the entire time, but I do think it's insane how well he makes such a piece of shit character likable. 
um a lot of reviews and stuff i saw where people like oh my god he's the worst character of the whole 90s but i still want to fuck him you know or all this stuff like hawk is in red hawk is oozing with charisma in this performance and i don't want to second guess that but hessling just has a lot more that she has to do and hawk's just there to have fun and be sexy and cool which he is so as amazing as he's able to do that um, that might just be a legit per him just oozing off the screen as a person, whereas Hessling's being probably more artsy in a craft sense. So Hessling is the best actor of this round, or of this matchup. Jeez, I keep saying that. And then again, best scene. I think if you listen to the Reality Bites review, I had an issue picking best scene in that movie anyway, and I ended up going with uh, Troy and Lelena just walking and talking, or I went with them fighting, I don't know. But it was it's hard to pick a scene from that movie that really stands out. There's really not like a great standout scene, whereas honestly, I think there's like three scenes in Mobile Fate that are better than the best scene in Reality Bites, to be completely honest and i think the dream sequence obviously and whirlpool of fate uh tops any scene and reality bites just on a whole technical aspect it's fucking nuts again the sexual assault type scene as harrowing as it is is really well made same with the ending when he sees her i felt it um thought that scene was well made too and even when they're burning the caravan all really well-made scenes, all I think could be reality bites. So best scene, dream sequence, best actor, Hessling. Overall, Whirlpool Fate does win this. Not by a massive margin. Ben Stiller put up a fucking fight for directorial debuts. So props to him. Props to everybody involved. Thanks for listening. Um, the next round, or next, God, dude, why I'm fucking so stupid right now. Next matchup, sorry, is between Jim Sheridan and Jacques Tati. <laughs> Again, we are going to have a weird fucking matchup. Um, obviously, Jim Sheridan's first movie is actually My Left Foot. Very well-known movie of his. Um, pretty renowned. So... I will be watching my left foot for the next round. And then for Jacques Tati, his first feature is uh, Jour de Fête, the 1949 film. So, or Fête, Jour de Fête, I don't know, Jacques Tati. That's, uh, so Jour de Fête and my left foot, sorry. Don't know why I wasn't clear in letting those two out. That's the next match of the tournament and uh i hope you guys go listen see you there